Okay, guys, welcome to The Dad Presents. This episode is brought to you by CBDMD.com. Go there and use the code The Dad Presents for 15% off on high quality CBD products that'll help all your pains. I use it, gets rid of all my aches and pains from my 27 million surgeries for my neck, my back, my shoulder, my wrist. Get it, it's good stuff. All right, now let's get into it. Okay, guys, today on the show, we got Lisa Sellen Davis, and I'm going to introduce her in a minute. Uh, But first, I wanted to address one thing. You know, the last show, we had comedian Pete Dominic on. He had a show on series for for years. Now he has his own podcast, and Pete is a hardline Democrat, and he's got some very different ideas than myself. Um, And I've never gotten more pushback on an episode from the fans than this one. People were not happy that I didn't give Pete more pushback. And look, guys, here's the thing. I don't have guests on my show so that I can listen to myself run my mouth for 45 minutes. I I have them on to get their opinion. I tried to give them a little bit of pushback, but we got to start, you know, if you're only tuning into this show to hear one point of view, you're doing yourself a disservice. We got to start listening to each other in this country. If we're ever going to heal, we got to start listening to each other and hearing different ideas. Um, So again, today I have someone who probably doesn't traditionally fall in line with the type of guests we've had on this show, and she's going to have some different points of view, and it's important that we hear her out. Now, I did um, I did throw some questions at her and tried to challenge her ideas, but for the most part, you know, I let her get her ideas out there, and we should, we should give them a chance, and, you know, like I said, that's how we grow as people, that's how we grow as a nation. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we got a special guest for you today. Her name is Lisa Sellen Davis. She's an author. She recently wrote a book called Tomboy, which is a book about young girls growing up who don't fall within the standard gender lines for girls. She's had popular pieces in the New York Times and the Washington Post and others. And today she is here with us. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Very good. Very good. Um, So yeah, I wanted to jump in about the book um, and about your experience with your daughter. So um, your daughter expressed to you at a young age, how, how old is your daughter right now? She just turned 11. 11. Okay. About my kid's age. I got a 10 year old and a, and a seven year old or yeah. eight. Whoops. He's eight now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I have eight and 11. Yeah. Um, so she expressed to you at a young age that she was a tomboy. And since then you've allowed her to, you know, cross the traditional gender lines, um, which is obviously the right thing to do as a parent. Um, so my first question is, it seems like nowadays we have two acceptable narratives. And one is that gender roles are not important. And the other one is that some people are born into the wrong gender and they need to transition. And it seems to me these two ideas are in conflict with one another. Um, you wrote a piece for the New York Times called, My Daughter is Not Transgendered, She's a Tomboy. And it became a little bit controversial. Uh, why do some people want to push that direction? Like, why, why, is, why is that the popular thing right now? You know, it's taken me a really long time to understand, understand something about this moment. And I feel like I've actually 
only understood it since the book has come out, um, unfortunately. And that is about what just what gender means. So I think we'll, I'll talk about that for a second before okay. I, which is part of answering your question. So some people use the word gender to mean sex, to mean like male or female. They use them interchangeably. Right. Um, and you'll see that sometimes, you know, on, on official forms where they say, what's your gender? But they actually mean like, what kind of body do you have? And then there are people for whom gender means gender roles. That's how I was raised to, to, to think of gender as this thing that's biologic. I'm sorry, that's social, that's constructed, that's about what's expected of you and our ideas of normal. But that really isn't rooted in biology. And then there are people who think gender is about gender identity and that how masculine or feminine you are or how you identify is biological. And, um, and those, are all, those are all different interpretations of the word. So for some people, when a child is not acting the way you thought they would based on their bodies that's about it might they might think it's about identity and it's about a child you know um wanting to go uh, maybe a female child being interested on what's on the blue side of the pink blue divide and that they're biologically drawn there and for other people that would be about you know i'm raising my child to want to what's on the blue side of the divide that my child is avoiding those messages and those things are kind of in conflict. It's, it's why so many people fight about gender, whether it's biological or whether it's socially constructed. And when a child is young and it's not doing what you think they're going to do, it may be about their gender identity. It may be about their sexuality. It also may not be. And a lot of what I write about is the rush to decide about a, a child's whole future based on them not linking up with our stereotypes is is limiting them in a way that I don't think is necessary. Right. Um, yeah, you said a lot there, which was <laughs> so. I'm not sure, and not, I'm not sure it um, made me any less confused. <laughs> um, so, so gender. What you're saying is gender has many definitions. It can be a biological, it can be how they, the child identifies, or it can be about how uh, we want to perceive them in society. I, I just yeah. don't understand why we so badly need to, to put people into boxes and labels. Like we're, we're not comfortable with someone unless they fit into a box. Like why does it have to be any of those things? I mean, to me, gender means your, your gender, you're, you're a boy or you're a girl. And now there's these other things, but it, it doesn't, if, if you're a boy but you like girl things, fine. If you're a girl and you like boy things, fine. If you're a girl and you like girls, fine. Like, I don't understand all these labels that are getting thrown at us. It becomes very confusing for, I think, most people who are not deep in to this, this kind of new language. Yeah. And the, and the language is evolving very quickly. And Yes. The emotions around the language and the expectations that people should just should know this and that if they don't know or if they ask the wrong question, that it's incredibly offensive and disrespectful. Sure. It's intimidating. It, it gets in the way of people understanding. But it's interesting because just the way you talked about what gender was, it sounded like to you it was a biological category that gender is boy or girl. And I and I think, you know, when you go into Facebook and it it offers you 
I actually can't remember if it, I think it's gender identity it offers you, or I don't know if it just says gender or gender identity. And it says things like gender queer and cisgender. It has all of these words and you might not know what any of those words mean. And I think what's important to remember about the language is that for a lot of people, having those words is a big psychic relief. Oh, this is who I am. I'm in this category. It has its own rules or it has no rules. So I'm not bound to anything. I'm outside of what society expects of me. And I know who I am and there's a name for how I'm different. For other people, that's either very confusing or alienating. And, and, and for young people, really young people, two, three, six, you know, some of them might really know who they are. But for the rest of them, the, you know, the intense focus on identity sometimes stops us from talking about what I want to talk about, which is gender stereotypes and which is... Okay, so let's, let's get into that. So, because you had talked about sometimes girls like girl stuff and sometimes girls like boy stuff. Right. And the question I ask in this book is, why is it called girl stuff and boy stuff? Where does that come from? Who does it serve? And who does it limit? So, even more important to me, I think there are a lot of people working on gender identity and working on that language you're talking about. But I'm actually talking about stepping back and asking before we rush to try to understand who someone is based on what they like, let's understand why we have categories of boy stuff and girl stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So why do we? (laughs) Well, I was really surprised to find that a hundred years ago was really the beginning of gendering childhood. And that before that, little boys and girls were mostly dressed the same in what we would think of as feminine clothing. All kids wore dresses, all babies wore white dresses, and all kids had long hair um, up until they went to school. And then they would start to be separated a little bit. And it was like that up until about the 1920s. And the reason it changed has to do with the rise of psychology and sexology and studying uh, gay people and starting to think of gay people as a class of people instead of just um, homosexual behavior or something people do like, oh, that's actually a kind of person, an identity, let's say. Mm -hmm. Sure. And at the time, people thought that it was nurture, not nature, that would cause someone, especially a man, they were mostly concerned with men, to be gay. So they started suggesting to parents that they really emphasize to little boys, especially, that they should be little men. And before that, they wouldn't have wanted to think of children as, as think of the sex of the children because it was connected to the idea of sexuality in their mind. So you wouldn't want to emphasize that, oh, you're a little man because there's something kind of sexual about that. So they didn't want to talk about that. But then when, then the idea became raise this little boy as a little man so he'll know how to be a proper straight guy. So you're saying it was to combat homosexuality initially. That's why they started it. Yes. Okay. Uh, But I mean, we largely all agree now that homosexuality is is not an, it it doesn't come from the way you're raised. Uh, Most of the time, um, there can be some abuse that might trigger something like that. But most of the time, it's, you know, who you are, right? So- So then why does it persist if, if we've already ruled that out? 
<laughs> That's such a good question. I mean, first of all, people don't know people don't know why they're doing it. I think I've talked to so many parents of boys who tell me my son likes pink and he likes to wear dresses. You know, he's three, four, five. He's experimenting. Um, he's he's getting the message that he's not supposed to. But in the beginning, he's interested because it's natural to be interested. And they tell me, well, I, I, I let him wear the pink backpack on the first day of kindergarten, but he was so teased that he came home and he never wore it again. Or, um, you know, my son wanted to wear cowgirl pajamas to pajama day. And I said, you can wear them, but you are going to be bullied. So, the, these boys are, e even if their parents sort of allow them to operate outside these gender lines, they learn very, very quickly that they're not supposed to. But I'm not sure how many people know that not letting a boy wear pink or play dress up, I'm not sure how many people know that that has its roots in homophobia. I mean, it makes sense logically from, from the way you explained it. I've not looked at it from other options or other angles, but all right. So, so we understand where it comes from and we understand from what you're saying, why it persists, you know, societal pressures, kids getting bullied, that sort of thing. But why is, why is it bad? Like why it, I don't understand, you know, I have two boys. Uh, I've never pushed them in any direction. Uh, one's a little sweet tartan, you know, nice little sweetie pie. Right. And the other's a very boyish boy didn't push them in either direction, but they both are way into boy things. Um, and the one, the, the sweetie pie, he will even say certain things are girl things and he doesn't want to do them for that reason. I won't argue with him. I'll, you know, if he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't want to do it. But why, why is that unhealthy for a child? Well, it used to be that we had a few things divided up that way. And now we have everything divided up that way. So every possible toy item of clothing, any, anything you can think of for children is divided into pink and blue, as well as personality traits. The, you, know, you just said you had one kind of rowdy boy and one sweet boy, but usually sweet is a, isn't, we associate that with girls, but the truth sure. is there are lots of sweet boys and there are lots of rowdy girls. And I happen to have one sweet girl and one rowdy girl myself. And actually the, the sweet one is the one who, you know, has been labeled or identifies as a tomboy. So these are just human toys and human clothes and human personality traits. And the problem with dividing them into pink and blue is that kids learn early and deeply that they really shouldn't wander into the opposite territory. They learn it by age three. They, they fully understand gender stereotypes. And that's why they often, when they get to preschool, they divide more and they police each other. And the problem is that, for instance, the toys, when they're divided like that, boys' toys and girls' toys develop different skill sets. And they're really good skill sets, each one. You know, boys' toys tend to foster independence and spatial relations, and girls' toys tend to foster communication and nurturing. And each, you know, those are wonderful skill sets, but the ideal human being would have access to both of those skill sets. And the problem sure. with gendering all that stuff is that kids are not allowed to develop what's on both the pink and blue sides of the line. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. We do want to be well-rounded people. Um, 
but wouldn't you say just just to push back on that a little bit yeah. wouldn't you say that you said uh, before 100 years ago uh, we didn't do this with our children i would say both men and women today are far more well-rounded than they were 200 years ago so is it really preventing our our kids from growing up well-rounded well i like that question and i would say if you if you look at the discourse around children, like lately, you know, there's been a lot of talk, for instance, about toxic masculinity. Sure. Before that, there was a real focus on girls' low self-esteem, on the leaky pipeline in science and, all, and, you know, eating disorders. And all of these things are linked to the way we raise children and the different, our different kind of, different ways we're held back by gender. And by gender, I mean the way we treat people and societal expectations and norms. So yes, I think women certainly have made tremendous gains, except that now we, you know, basically kind of have to do everything. <laughs> and, um, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's the same for men. I think there's a real fight to have men feel like they can be fully human and they can be vulnerable and cry and do all, do all those things. So I, I think the discourse around kids is coming out of this, what I call the hypergendering of childhood. And I don't think most people are aware of it. So I guess I'm trying to raise awareness to say the, the, the angst that comes from parents when their kids aren't doing exactly what we thought they would do because of their bodies. You know, the minute you, if you found out the sex of your baby before you had them or, or, you know, you wait till birth, mm -hmm. you have this whole idea of what kind of person you're going to have. And then parents get upset when the person is not who they envisioned. Um, when, meaning the person isn't like hewing to gender norms when all the research shows that the, the kids who ignore gender norms do better in school, they're more creative, they're more self-confident. So we should all be aiming to raise children who don't feel pressured by gender. Sure. I mean, I mean everybody, every parent, I know I did, when, when you find out you're going to have a baby, you have an idea of what that's going to be. But then it's on the parent to accept what you get. You guide your kid. I mean, that's what parenting is. You guide your kid but you, you accept them for who they are. And if you're not doing that, you're probably not a very good parent. But I think it's natural to, to um, you know, you, when you decide you're having a little boy, a dad pictures himself in the backyard playing catch with the little boy, right? I mean, I think that's, that's perfectly natural. I don't think that's un, unhealthy. What's unhealthy is when you start forcing things on your children that they don't want to do. Um, and it's, but, not just, it's not just, you know, you and your kid playing catch. And one mm -hmm. hopes that if you you know, found out you had a girl, you also could imagine playing catch with your, with your daughter. Um, because the way, you know, there is research that shows that when dads, you know, go fishing with girls and play sports with girls, it becomes part of their normalized existence. And they, sure. they, even though the culture is telling them all that stuff isn't for you, you know, they, they also learn from their parents, but it's, it's really about the messaging from our whole society. It's really about the whole capitalist construction of gender that's sending these messages. So there's a certain amount we can do in our families, and then there's a certain amount that has to happen externally 
for people to understand where their idea of normal came from and how narrow it's gotten. Sure. Um, and, and you're, you're, you're making me think about this a little bit differently because what you mentioned about 1920 and, and you're saying before that we didn't raise our kids this way, that comes, that's a bit of a surprise to me. Um, because I think most people, I think the prevailing dominant opinion would be that kids are more well-rounded today than they were a hundred years ago. I think that would just, maybe that's the wrong overall opinion, but I think that would be the prevailing opinion if you just asked a hundred strangers. You know what I mean? Well, there's, in, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. So there's research that many more girls played baseball in the 19th century than they did today. I mean, they ended up, you know, we ended up having to have a legal battle, right, with Title IX and to, to have girls be able to play sports, even though they were many of them in the 19th century when tomboyism was encouraged, many of them played baseball. Well, wasn't I mean, t- Title IX was a, a debate about funding them equally, not about whether yeah. or not they could play? Well, that those are related. <laughs> you have to be funded to be able to play. But what what I'm saying is there were fewer, many fewer girls playing baseball in the 1970s than probably the 1870s. And similarly, there is research that shows 82% of boys were playing dolls, playing with dolls in the 19th century. And boys all still play with dolls today. They just call them action figures. Well, that's going to be my next sentence. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, speaking, speaking about action, action figures, you had an article, um, was it, I think it was in the Guardian, if I'm remembering correctly, about, and we actually talked about this on our show uh, before. I don't know if, if you wrote an article before, but it came up about degendering the toy section at um, toy stores when they open back up. Um, I don't know. Like, what, what's the goal there? Because when you go to, into any store, like, you go to Target, there's a men's department, there's a woman's department. So it's, should we degender for, for, everybody at all times like it, it it seems like a unnecessary nuisance well i i i explained the problem with gendering toys right because the toys develop different skill sets and they and they set your standard of normalcy like give me an example of this the skill sets related to the toys so we can understand so in in up until 2012, there were just Legos. And in the late 90s, they introduced, during the girl power era, they introduced pink and purple Legos. But they were still the same they, toys. Mm-hmm. And then um, in 2012, they introduced Lego Friends, which were marketed specifically at girls. And the Lego Friends kind of look like little plastic Bratz dolls. Nothing wrong with that. It, by itself, but they're not really construction toys. So they're really more like dollhouses. And so again, they help with the nurturing and communication skills, but they don't help you with your eventual engineering practice. And they establish what's normal. So if you go to the sporting goods section of Target, they don't have like men's sporting goods and women's sporting goods they might have like men's rackets by size but if you're a smaller man you're gonna have to buy a woman's racket anyway and i think the the point is that it's so it's it's so much of childhood that's divided that way it's so much of their material and psychic worlds that it it has gone it has crossed over into an unhealthy 
version of childhood for them. So, okay. I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you feel basically you're saying our kids need to be well-rounded. And if you're only playing with one kind of toys, you're less likely to become well-rounded. I suppose that makes sense. I can understand that logic. Um, but ki- I mean, kids gravitate towards things like instead of all of this, wouldn't it just be better if we, if we as a society and as parents, if we just let our kids gravitate towards what they gravitate and everybody's fine with it. You know what I mean? Like if the parents are fine with it and, and the other kids are fine with it, it's not really an issue. Is kids, it? Will, kids will mostly, uh, most children will gravitate, gravitate toward a toy that is marked as for their sex. So there's plenty of research that shows, for instance, if you show kids pictures of girls playing with race cars and you ask the kids, is a race car a boy's toy or a girl's toy? They'll say it's a girl's toy because they saw a girl playing with it. So the idea okay. that your kids like come out imprinted and they're just doing what they're biologically drawn to and it's all good, mm-hmm. I didn't stand in their way, is, you know, you can make that same argument for any kind of bias that your child's going to develop. But do you want to like, do you want your child not just to be well-rounded, but to be um, a person who not only doesn't limit him or herself, but who doesn't bully other people and police other kids of course. into following these, these strict gender norms. So yes, of course. What, I'm, what I'm talking about is, to me, is less radical than what a lot of other people talking about gender are saying. I'm just saying, put some boys on the Lego Friends box. Just stop, just, you know, just children, we don't know how children would naturally be without these gender messages because we haven't That's a good tried. Point. That's a good point. We haven't tried, or at least we haven't tried in a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, it, it does. I can, even I can see that it does still exist to a degree. I remember when uh, my kid was like two and one of my good friends, his kid was two and he was talking to me on the beach and he was upset because his wife wanted to get a cooking set for his boy. And I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing. And we're out here, we're in Los Angeles, pretty progressive liberal place. And this guy was worried that the kitchen set was going to make his, his kid gay. This is in the year 2000, what, 13. So yeah. And I found that, I found that surprising. So it does still exist. Um, to me, it does, it doesn't compute because I, I, I don't see the harm in taking away boys toys and girls toys and making them just toys if that's gonna make our kids better no problem with that what concerns me is like you mentioned it earlier toxic masculinity right so i just feel that all of this stuff combined this like all of it when you put it all together it comes out as there seems to be a general dislike of masculinity in society right now. And masculinity is not a bad thing either. I mean, some boys are very masculine and that should be fine also. Well, I find the word masculinity and, and, and the word femininity to be, you know, almost useless because I have, and you seem to have, children who are varying levels of masculine and feminine. And we know that masculinity doesn't belong to men. All of us know super masculine women. Sure. But we, we know the large predominant 
average person, men are more masculine than women. I mean, we know that on the whole, right? We're not going to debate well, that. What does the word masculine mean to you? Let's establish well, there's, that. There's certain traits that, that can be attributed more to like someone with high testosterone, more, more aggressive, more uh, uh, stronger physically. Um, you know, I'd have to really think about it, but there's a lot of traits like that. And with women, more nurturing. That's a more feminine trait. And, the, and these, you know, if you look through history, that holds consistently more than 50% of the time. So we're just, well, you might not like the words masculine and feminine, but you would agree that there's certain traits that are more predominant in men than women and vice versa. I mean, aggressive, I, I will argue with you on that one. I mean, physically stronger, sure, yes, that we know. But I think as a Gen X woman, I, I, most of the women I know are in charge of everything. So I don't, I don't know. That's a good point. My wife's in charge too. Maybe, maybe aggressive is the, the wrong, the wrong word. Um, well, when you start breaking it down, that's what I'm saying. When, when we try to define these things, that's where we both get more confused, but also more enlightened of like, wait, what did get put in the masculine category and who put it there and who benefits from it? And for children, you know, there's a, they've had for kids who slot neatly into the male and female category, which is 99% of children, you know, they've had an, enough uh, androgens, not just testosterone, but other male hormones to differentiate their bodies and, and probably a little bit their brains. And then, and then they're socialized. And again, we really don't know who we'd be without, sure. without socialization, but we also have many other kinds of cultures and other places that define masculinity and femininity differently. We have, you know, right. cultures we, where women are in charge. Sure. But we do know that testosterone causes certain behaviors in people or leads them to be more likely with those behaviors. I mean, we see it when people transition. When you give somebody testosterone, they become more traditional male traits and vice versa. I mean, that's why they take the estrogen. That's why they take the testosterone because they want to become more like what they believe they are, right? So, I mean, I mean nobody would argue. I, I got one. I thought about one while you were talking. Nobody would argue that violence, physical violence is a more, a trait more associated with testosterone. So we're comfortable labeling it when it's a negative thing, right? Well, I don't, I don't think that, that I, I don't think you could say that's 100% biological. Of I course mean, not 100%. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying on, on that at all. But I'm because saying- Because the argument around this toxic masculinity thing is all about toxic masculinity, that discussion is all about socialization. So again, like the, I think it's a false dichotomy to try to look at what's biology, biological and what's social, because we don't have any way, uh, we don't have any way of knowing. I did talk to some trans men who said they, they had trouble crying after taking testosterone and, and it took them a long time. They almost had to relearn how to cry, which I thought was Really interesting. Sure. I don't know if there are any studies on that. But well, I, what about I, higher higher sex drive? They they get their their sex drive goes way up. I haven't that 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 isn't in my in my scope of of research, but I I think that using 
those examples of like, we don't have to do anything because it's just biological. You know, you could say, you, you can make that argument for racism. You can make that argument for any number of terrible things. Yeah, in no, the world. no, 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 I'm not saying so not we, do anything. I, I definitely wouldn't say not do anything. I'm just saying it, there, there are these, these realities. And I just don't want to, I don't, I don't like what I see. Um, again, as, as a man, myself, as a father of boys, this pushback against whether you like the word or not, traditionally masculine behaviors. Um, there are toxic masculinity is a real thing. There's some toxic men out there. There's some bad people. There's also some bad women, right? There's bad people in the world. Um, but it feels like that term has become a thing just to uh, attack men about in general. You know, you hear about mansplaining and, and manspreading and things like this. It's like just attacking men just for being men, for not liking men. That's what bothers me. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but let me try to look at it from a slightly different angle because I think that discussion is about what happens when all of these really important human traits are labeled as feminine, like crying, like being sensitive, like being other-centered, um, like being deferential. Like these are all things that are part of being a good person who knows how to communicate and relate to others, to be in relationships, to function in groups and in society. And all children male and female children are taught and learn very early that what is feminine is less than. There's plenty of research on that. And toxic masculinity is a discussion about men not having access to all of that stuff that's marked as feminine, that they need to be good human beings. And, and that, is, that is the problem. And, and the, the research that was started in the 60s about what was called psychological androgyny, which was possessing both male and female traits, the people doing that research asserted that, you know, being hyper-feminine or hyper-masculine alone wasn't the best thing, even if it's what we hold up as the ideal. And, and again, like, that's why I'm doing this work about the material. Oh, I think you're right. I think most most uh, people who go on to greatness have all the qualities, not just you know the masculine qualities or the feminine qualities. So I think you're right about that. I mean, if, I, if that's I, what you're talking about with toxic masculinity, that they don't have the feminine qualities, that's that's fair. That uh, w- men should work to be more well-rounded, as should women. It's just not what it feels like often. Listen, I can I can understand how uncomfortable it is, and nobody likes to be slotted into a category and then dismissed because of it. And right. you know, any minority of any kind can tell you exactly. that because they yes. live their whole lives like that. So you and I are in a variety of majority categories and are now experiencing what it is like to be slotted into a category and dismissed, and it sucks. But I think that if the discussion around toxic masculinity results in men feeling freer to be totally human and to be able to express themselves, then it will have been worth it. But I don't know, you know, my, my idea of how to get there is to look at the forces of sexism and homophobia that have changed the way we raise children and see if we could just relax it a little bit, get the kid, get the little boy a cooking set. And, and also when your children are 
whether they're, you know, conforming to gender norms or not, to, to not be upset about it, just to work hard to make all of life available to them so that they can develop into these, as you say, well-rounded people. Absolutely. It's easy to make it seem like I'm extreme, but I, I actually think what I am talking about, you know, we, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying you're saying that, but, but rather that when people hear this about let's degender toys or clothes, well, they that, think, that word sounds extreme. That sounds yeah. a little scary. Degender. I think, okay, well, I think we need a better word. Okay. <laughs> let's come up with one. I don't know. I just, I read that. I read that word degender and that, that pushed me off a little bit. It's not, you know, it just sounds like, you know, maybe you're completely emasculating a man, you know, just de- rob him of his gender. So I, I don't know. I understand what you're saying though. And I, I think, I think it, I think it is a good thing. We got to be well-rounded people. We got to push our children to be, we got to let our children be who they are essentially. Um, but one thing I thought about um, after, as you were talking about the um, hundred years ago and how we didn't gender children, I'm thinking back to, and you're talking about how we want to get away from gendering children again, right? Why would well, they- I'm, I'm not talking, there are a lot of people who want to raise children with no gender markers. And, and I, I'm not talking about that though. I support people who want to do that. I'm talking about gendering their material worlds and their psychological traits. Sure, no, I'm sure. not talking about their bodies so much. No, but I'm just talking about, I think society naturally will evolve into that. And we already are because if you, I mean, if you look back 200 years ago, right before technology and electricity and all this innovation, gender, having very stereotypical gender roles made sense because you spent the majority of your day trying to feed your eight kids and get food on the table and whatnot, you know, there's no refrigeration. There's no electricity. The man's got to go to work and get the food home. The woman's got to be taking care of the eight children. Like it made sense to divide things according to gender. With technology, that doesn't make as much sense anymore. So we've naturally evolved away from that. And I think it's just going to kind of naturally continue as we continue to come up with developments and and life becomes easier. I mean, doesn't it just kind of naturally happen? Do we really need to force it? Um, what I experience as a a Gen X woman, for instance, is that I am now expected to, to work and raise children to do everything I might've been expected to do long ago, plus a whole bunch of things that would have been in the man's domain. I want to do all those things, but nothing has changed in the last 50 years as women have taken on these bigger and bigger roles, more and more activities. We don't have, we don't have women, women have gotten what they want, but the men haven't taken a share of the other work. Men, men are doing more, but we don't have universal childcare. We don't have all these structural supports, family medical, you know, we don't, we don't have a society that supports working families and we also don't have a society that generally understands where traditions come from and the psychological impact of those traditions. So we have made gains, but we're in a constant state of culture war. And we have people who are very, very resistant to learning anything about where their ideas of normal come from. So you know, I want to widen the range of normal. 
in order for me to do that, I need people to understand how normal is constructed for them. And, and because I had a child who was so misunderstood, even in an era when we have all of these new words and all of this new language and new understandings of gender, and yet it was just so hard for adults to accommodate this child's difference. And, and, and that's what really spurred me on this mission, but it isn't a mission about my child. It is a mission about how we got to this really strange moment where on the one hand we have gender reveal parties because of the technology. Right. And on the other hand, we have 72 gender identities on Facebook. And, right. you know, that is a really, really interesting time. But if people are resistant to learning about it, then we can't explore it and we can explore um, how to be more, more generous human yeah. beings. We should always question what we know and what we believe and, and how that originated. That's always a healthy exercise, 10 times out of 10. Um, there's been going back to, you know, your daughter um, being uh, a tomboy as you, as you call her and, and how you, you, put out that article and you got some pushback from the trans community. Um, how I, I'd be interested, interested to know how you feel about the issue of trans women playing sports with regular girls, given everything else you've said today, because there's, there's two ideas on this and I, I can't tell where you might fall on that. Well, you've stumped me now. You know, no one's asked me about that. And I and and I and I I suppose at one point I thought people would ask me about it. Um, I think it's really fascinating because you and I were talking about testosterone and you know the, the things that testosterone does to a body and how people take testosterone basically to change their sex so that their sex matches their gender identity more. And and so we know that testosterone has all, all these physical and some psychological effects. And then we have also have people saying, often people in that same community saying, yes, but it's your identity that, that matters with sports that, you know, even women with hyperandrogenism who have high testosterone, if they identify as women, that's they, they should be playing on women's teams. And, Everything about gender and the discussion of gender is full of contradiction. And it's very, very hard to find a clear answer about anything. And I, 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 don't, I don't know how to solve that problem. What I know is that when people want to talk about it and when people have an opinion about it, that that when the other people try to tell them not only that they're wrong, but they need to be canceled, then we can't get anywhere and we can't yes, learn. hundred percent. So cancel I, culture is a, a big problem with it, everything in society right now because people are afraid to have conversations and it's no good. I mean, there, there was, you know, I followed stories like um, a trans girl in Connecticut who won all the track meets um, and, you know, I had not physically transitioned at all and people feeling like I want to ask questions about it. I want to try to understand. I want to try to help, but I am so confused about why, about what's happening and they just can't say anything. So 
even more than answering the question of who gets to play on what team, what I, what I want to say is like, how, how can we have real discussions about this and how can we handle these contradictory ways that we, that we see even testosterone and what it does. There's actually a really, really interesting book about the social history of estrogens and testosterone called, um, oh, I'm going to forget what it's called. I think it's called Self-Science Sex. It's an academic book, but it's super readable. And I was fascinated by learning that for instance, stallion urine, which you would think would be like, what's more masculine than a stallion? What's more estrogens than androgens? And, you know, and I also learned that estrogen isn't one thing. It's a class of, it's a class of hormones, but everywhere you look in every, it says estrogen as if it's one thing. So there's so much we don't understand. How can we get to the point where we can just ask questions and talk about it and keep it complicated? Well, yeah, we need to have conversations. But one thing that bothers me is that this is something you hear from, um, I don't know a better term for them than the social justice warriors. So if that's a, a term that is offensive to you, I'm sorry, I, that's, that's the term. Um, they say that, like, we need to have a conversation about race. We need to have a conversation about gender, blah, blah. But then they don't mean conversation. They mean, let me tell you how it's going to be and you better agree with me. And that's not that's not helpful because I've always considered myself to be a very progressive person. I think what, what progressive is has really changed in the last five years. And I don't think I would categorize myself that way anymore, but I'm open to ideas. I'm open to discussion, but I've, I've experienced myself with, with friends, with uh, family members. If, if you push back against certain ideas or even ask questions, it just kills the conversation. And we've just, we've split like this. So when, when you say we've got to have these conversations, I agree hundred percent. We're having a conversation. I haven't agreed with everything you've said. I know you haven't agreed with everything I've said. We're having a conversation. It's healthy. I don't understand what's happened in society that has stopped that between people. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm appreciating having a conversation with someone who's not 100% on board with what I'm talking about and is pushing back a little bit because it also, one, it sort of, sharpens my own point of view. I have to question myself, check in, do I still believe this? And also my message is all about complexity and ambiguity, right? So I'm, I'm on most things, I'm not didactic, um, except for I think childhood is crazily hypergendered. So I have been trying to do a lot of listening and a lot of learning and a lot of seeing the world from other people's points of view, because it is my job as a writer and as a journalist. And even when I, if I go back to writing fiction someday, I'm very, very interested in inhabiting the points of view in people whose life, ex of, of people whose life experiences are different from mine. And sometimes as, as a person of different kinds of privilege, as a white person or a cis person, as a middle-class person, um, it's very uncomfortable when someone just wants me to shut up and listen and say that my point of view isn't worth considering. It offends me and it hurts my feelings and it makes me feel terrible. But I'm also really trying to go with it because there are so many people who have a voice for the first time in history right now. And I think it's very, very important for those of us in these majority categories to, to 
partake of the exercise of listening. Yes. See, listening. If it, see if it changes our mind. See, see if we learn something. It, maybe it will. May, maybe it won't. But it can't hurt us to try. 100% listening is important. And there's a lot of terrible listeners amongst us. Um, listening is something I had to actively work on. Um, but also telling somebody that your opinion doesn't matter or you don't have a say in this, which I've, I've heard a lot of from different groups, that's, that's horseshit. That's not a society. Like Everybody needs to have a voice. Everybody needs to consider everybody else's voice. To tell someone your opinion doesn't matter. Like, um, and, and one area we really hear it that you, you might agree with, um, women will say women, men shouldn't have an opinion on women's issues. And I disagree with that. Like it's society. Women's issues affect men as well. Like I, sh- I should have, and I do have an opinion. Like I should be able to share my opinion on, on, on any issue, right? You, you, maybe your opinion carries more weight because it more directly affects you as a woman, but it affects all of society and all of society affects all of us. Well, the, it's one thing to have an opinion I guess it depends on how much power the groups with those opinions have, right? So it's mostly been men making decisions about what women that's true. Can do with their body. That's true. Mm-hmm. And and that's true, but that and that's changing. But yes, that's true. Maybe. Maybe it's maybe it's changing. I mean, we we're fighting those battles all the time. And I think, you know, many trans people would say we've never had a chance to to make decisions about our own health care. We've never had a chance about to make decisions about what groups we can belong to. This is the first time in history some of these groups are having a voice. And so, it, and it may be... And that's why it's important to listen. Uh, but we don't it, need to swing so far that we shut out everybody else. I don't think that's healthy. Well, until those groups have the same amount of power, it, it it that's what they that's what they need to do and and that's why you know working toward a more equitable society is important because you're going to have feelings about groups of people or you're going to have opinions about some group outside your own but it if those groups have enough power and political will to govern themselves, then it won't matter what you think of them. You can have your opinion, but you can't actually, you know, oppress them because of it. So it's, I think it's, I think there are, you know, like maybe you're a white straight Christian cis dude. And, and this may be like the first time that someone is telling you, I don't give a shit what you, what you say. No, I've and been hearing that my whole life. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> nobody um, cares what I say. I mean, I, we, we talked about that before. I'm with you on how uncomfortable it is and how it doesn't feel like um, being asked to participate in the liberation of another group. It doesn't make me feel like, oh, you want me to join your movement and I want to help and I want to be part of this. It makes me feel like you're telling me that I'm worthless and I no, nobody wants to hear that. But I, I think this is where we're at in the culture war right now. Mm-hmm. And the way that, you know, it will be, I, I hope that there's a way to get equity that's not just um, groups of people who yep. were silenced, trying to silence other people. I, but I don't know what that is. Right. All right. Two, two points and, and, and we're running out of time, but it's been a really good conversation. And thank you so much for your time. So two points on, on, on what you just said. Um, 
number one, you, number one, I could go down a libertarian rabbit hole. I've kind of shifted most of my gears towards libertarianism as all, all of this stuff has come up. Um, I feel like you talked about not ruling over another class. I think that's the best pathway towards that, but let's not get into politics. All right. Um, what I wanted to ask you about is you used the word twice, equity. Um, so that's a word that I struggle with. It bothers me. Um, I want to know what that word actually means to you because it, when I first heard the word, I was like, oh yeah, equity, equality. Like that's what I thought it was, equality. And that's not, as I've read more about it, read some of these books, it's not what it means. And I'm not really on board with the term. So tell us what that word means to you. There's a, there's a great graphic in my kids' elementary school that was explaining the difference between equality and equity. And it was a picture of three people at um, a baseball game. Um, a little kid, a, a, I don't know, a teenager or something, an adult. And there was a high fence. And so, and, and there were, um, I guess, maybe six little crates for them to stand on. So the tall person didn't need any crate because a tall person could already see over the fence. And the medium-sized person needed two or something. And then the little person got four so that they would all be at the same level. And so if it was equality, maybe they'd each get two, but the big guy didn't need to. So that's the difference, right? Is, Is balancing the amount of power each group has. And that's a hard thing to do in America where we have so many different social groups. But if, if we have a democracy and we have all of these, yeah, like you said, all these groups and we keep further, which, which I don't like, we keep further and further dividing into these, these subcategories. Like it's like never fine enough and they, they all get pitted against each other. Equity, equal power is impossible. And it's also how do you if we have a democracy, it's never going to happen. So there's got to be a better way. Um, I mean, equity to me, what it, what ultimately ends up with is, is communism. I mean, would you not agree with that? Well, I don't, I probably don't have, um, I sort of have always liked certain ideas of communism and certainly a, a democratic socialism seems fantastic. Those, those Scandinavian countries are, you know, Things are going well there, <laughs> so I don't. I don't have maybe have the negative associations that that you have with some of these words. However, I think what we're talking about is something I've been thinking a lot about, which is living in a democracy and working toward inclusivity, which feel like competing ideals. Because in inclusivity, you're actually catering sort of to the smallest minority group that that has the least amount of power and and the smallest voice. And in democracy, majority rules. And how do we fit these things together? And as I've been thinking about that a lot, I don't have any answers. I've just been thinking, how can I write something about this? How can I wrap my mind around around this moment in America. But I, I will say- And also the, the equity, like if, if we really want true equity, like it never happens. Like it's gotta be a constant, constant work trying to balance that out. And that's just government getting more and more into our lives trying to balance it out. It seems, I don't know, it just seems dangerous to me. It seems going, going backwards, but I, I wanted to switch up because we are running out of time. Okay. You mentioned the Scandinavian countries. So that takes me back to something else you said about Sweden. And I just wanted to get your clarification on this. You mentioned Sweden and gender neutral pronouns and gender neutral schools. 
Um, preschools. What's that? Preschools. Yeah. Preschools. Gen- oh, just preschools. Okay. So what, what does that look like and why is it a good thing in your opinion? Well, again, the gender neutral is, is triggering for people, right? Like you don't like that and you didn't like degendering. And I wish we had another word gender too. Neutral. I don't like degender. Do gender gender neutral? Neutral. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I do wish we, because the, going back to the beginning of the conversation, the word gender is so contested that using it in anything can be very difficult for people because they might not know what you're talking about. But it's basically doing what I'm advocating, which is just de-emphasizing the gender, not saying that there are girls' toys and boys' toys, not insisting that boys are like this and girls are like this. Um, Sweden did introduce a gender-neutral pronoun, their version of, of they, them, um, which not that they impose onto children, but which they can, you know, offer to children. Um, and the research, the initial research around those schools is that those kids who were raised to believe that boys and girls are equal and that they are allowed to, to access both sides of the pink-blue divide, or that there's no such thing as a pink-blue divide, that it stays with them for life and that they are... Um, you know, more open to difference and more confident. And this, the same research that shows that basically these kids who are tomboys, because they feel they have access to all the boy stuff and all the girl stuff, it's, it stays with them for life and it does good things for them. It helps them in yeah. school. It helps them in sports. It helps them in friendship. Yeah. Okay. If, I mean, if that's, if that's what it is that, I mean, that seems like a reasonable and good idea to me. So what's the What's the pushback on it? The pushback comes from people thinking that the way boys and girls are is biological and has to be respected and facilitated instead of fought back against. It has to do with people not understanding where their idea of normal came from and what what its roots are in. That's what my work is about, just to say... The way things are is not the way they have to be. And the way things are is not necessarily because of biology. I think some of it, what I'm thinking about, I think some of it just comes from people, some people, not most people, but some people still, there's still some like deep seated little bit of homophobia in them. And they think if they they don't teach their boys and girls to be boys and girls, they're going to be gay, which is dumb. I mean, that's that's just dumb. Like everything you're saying about the the gender neutral school, I I don't see how that could harm harm anybody and there could be some good to come from it. So that is uh, one thing in society. I don't think we've completely gotten past. Not all people. I think it's amazing how powerful homophobia is and has been. And I think most of us are unaware of how much it is affecting our parenting. And of course, where I come from, being gay is so 100% normal and fine that it was shocking to me that 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 was a part of so much of modern childhood. Um, But of course, I'm aware that people are actually homophobic and, and think that there's something wrong with it instead of it is just one of many variations of sexuality and nothing to be discouraged and um, and your kids, we just don't know. You know, them liking a pink dress now, they might be gay, but 
also, there are many super macho gay guys and there are feminine gay guys and there are masculine straight women and feminine lesbians. We just all come in all the different flavors of human being, you know? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody could just mind their own business and just accept everybody else for who they are and everybody be comfortable with who they are? Like, isn't that ultimately what we want? Like everybody just live and let live. That's what I want. It would be nice if we had a wider range of normal. Yes, it would be. It would be nice if we had more understanding of where I, our ideas of normal came from so that we didn't feel beholden to them. Sure. Absolutely. Um, all right, Lisa. So fascinating interview. I, th- I think people are going to enjoy you. Uh, you're not typically what we get on this show. So you're going to bring, bring <laughs> some uh, new perspective to people. And I, I hope people really give it a chance and think about it. Um, tell the fans where they can get your book and where else they can find you. The book is called Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to Be Different. And I am very happy when people get it at their local bookstore, but I'm also happy when they get it anywhere. Do they even exist and, anymore? Yeah, they do. They're, I think, you know, we can, we can save them. And you can save them by buying 10 copies of Tomboy right now. <laughs> and you can find me on, you know, all social media. My handle is Lisa Selen Davis everywhere. And uh, I love doing book clubs and I love talking. I'm, uh, you know, talking to groups of people for whom this stuff is new, like you. So you're, un- you know, if your audience is not my normal audience, you know, tell them to drop me a line. All right. Absolutely. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, this podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, CBDMD.com. Um, it's a fantastic product. I, I will not do ads for products that I don't use and that I don't like. Like I've told you guys before, I'm not not doing this podcast or this Facebook page to make money. I do it because I enjoy it. But you know, if someone's going to throw money at me, um, I'll take it if it's something I believe in and something that I use. And I do use this product. It's fantastic on inflammation. As you all know, I've had my spine fused. I've had my shoulder worked on twice. Um, Two, two surgeries on my shoulder. I've had my left wrist fused, which makes masturbation incredibly hard and painful. So almost not worth it, but, but still worth it. Um, and CBD gets me through all my pains. Um, it's why I'm still able to be 47 and still be this fine, sexy freak that you, that you guys see and know and love. Um, it's from exercise, diet, and CBD oil. So check it out. Use the code that Dad presents. You get 15% off, and you put a little more change in my pocket than what they're paying me to do this ad. All right, guys. Much love.